and it's it's very interesting to to look at the ways in which you know this was thrown into uh, into the global stage because of the way that you know last year um, operations at these semiconductor manufacturing facilities, which you know most are most of them are in Asia, you know large large amounts of concentration in Taiwan, but then South Korea and China. Um, also have you know a lot of these manufacturers. You know, in fact, Wuhan uh, is home to one of the of China's top chip makers, Yangtze Memory Technologies. It, it led to, as Morozov put it, this kind of like chips for vaccine diplomacy, um, which is insane. Which is <laughs> which is insane that they were trading <laughs> vaccines for chips at these larger international agreements instead of like what like. I think that part was uh, was a little jarring for me because I think this was all happening at the same time that the rest that the developing world right that the that the um, global south was trying to negotiate um, terms for relinquishing the patents and instead they're like oh no no fuck all that we're gonna use the we're gonna use the limited supply of vaccines and the strict IP regime to leverage more chips mm-hmm. and infrastructure that's a that's like a game pulled straight out of the wire like trading cell phones for drugs man yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yo yo you think you think the vaccine is 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 bill gates putting a chip in you i fucking wish dude there ain't enough chips out there to put chips in all the vaccines <laughs> yeah, actually, um, listen man listen listen look you know they're out there. They're trading chips for vaccines. You really think they're going to take those valuable chips and put them in the vaccines? <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've just, this is going to be season six of The Wire. You know, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about uh, semiconductors and <laughs> <laughs> vaccines. That's it. <laughs> it is, but it is it's also interesting that like this aspect of vaccine, na- this is an interesting supplement to the vaccine nationalism discussion that we had a few months ago. Um, which is that we talked about how vaccine nationalism was partly motivated by countries desiring to, to vaccinate their wealthiest people before the poorest people of other parts of the world. But also we can see vaccine nationalism as a lever, as a manifestation of the geopolitical uh, games being played by Western and West aligned countries to entice um, and, and, and non-Western countries too, right? Because like Japan is also doing this. Um, mm. China is also doing this. But uh, various countries trying to attract um, countries in Taiwan, countries in China, countries elsewhere, uh, countries in the United States, countries wherever they are, uh, companies wherever they can to come and manufacture chips in their own country, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, Morozov gives a little bit of numbers to this where he said, uh, uh, you know, quote, a kind of chips for vaccine diplomacy followed with Taiwan aggressively leveraging its chip making prowess to procure vaccines from chip hungry allies. Japan, keen for Taiwanese chip makers to set up shop there, donated 1.24 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine. The U.S. initially planning to donate 750,000 doses of Moderna's vaccine to Taiwan tripled its commitment, donating, you know, over 2 million vaccines um, to Taiwan for for chips, right? So, you know, well, largely so that these so that these Taiwanese um, chip manufacturing facilities, which had slowed production due to COVID outbreaks, could vaccinate all of the workers at these uh, at these manufacturing facilities and then and, you know, and get the get the, the production lines back up and running. 
you know, th- th- it's very funny because this is a this is like a, a pretty small part of just the kind of like scene setting in Morozov's article. But I think you're exactly right, Ed, that it's it's pretty wild to read that and then be and then think about it in a much larger sense of the way that like, you know, vaccines are a very important leveraging point for these larger countries uh, to exercise their geopolitical interests. And right now, getting, securing, uh, supply chains of, and a, and a steady supply of these, these microchips is a massive geopolitical interest for these, these, uh, for these countries, right? Not only for, um, you know, consumer goods, but for, for two other very large important aspects. One is that, you know, the, for a lot of countries, uh, you know, the U.S. in particular, you know, they're they're relying on the car industry, the automotive sector, as being the engine of economic growth um, for post-COVID recovery, right? Which I mean, it's also kind of wild and feels like very like like retro, like regressive in a lot of ways, right? To think that mm-hmm. like like oh well, what is the one thing that we still make? We make cars. And so in order to to grow our economy for a post-COVID recovery, we just got to start, we, we got to get Detroit up and running again. But right. in order for that to be the case, cars need microchips, right? And you can't make cars unless you've got a steady supply of these microchips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and I think the and as he talks about, right, the, the, the st- how car manuf- how manufacturing in general is structured is a large consequence of like developments of uh, neoliberalism or you know of globalization. Let's say just to avoid um, to avoid angering uh, capitalists, right? Uh, you know the globalization's effects on trade and on industrial production, right? One of them being this just-in-time production system, right? And just-in-time is it's just a management strategy, right? You take you, you try to minimize inventory as much as possible, right? It, and it's like an it's it's came around in the seventies, I think early seventies, uh, because of the Toyota car uh, manufacturing system, right? And basically, all it does is, is like you know you what you want to do is you want to only get the goods, only get the raw materials, only get the production inputs exactly when you need them. Only hold what you need and you're going to sell immediately, right? Um, this is a system that has been nailed as like fine, like this is this is capitalism, right? This is we're cutting the cost, we're cutting the waste, we're cutting the expenses to the bare bones. But, you know, as this piece lines out, there have been a lot of pressures with COVID, but also in the past 20 years of development of the of this industry, um, to undermine it, right? It's Take, for example, the COVID supply shocks, right? The fact that car manufacturers are unable to get the chips um, means that on the one hand, right, a just-in-time system would normally be able to, to meet the demand, right? But here they responded in just-time ideologies, uh, you know, logic by cutting the sales productions, by cutting the cars that they were making and cutting the chips that they were anticipating on ordering, right? Because you don't order the chips to have them sit in inventory. You order them as you do need them. And if you project demand drops, you don't buy them, right? But demand of the chips stayed high because chips were still being made 
uh, and needed to be made for vehicles that quickly recovered in their demand. And so people continued to buy cars. Prices of cars skyrocketed, but that didn't really deter demand. So that meant the, that global demand for chips still kept up, even though some manufacturers had cut down the, uh, the orders, which meant that now there was a shortage, there was a general shortage of the chips and an, an additional inability of the car manu- of certain car manufacturers to get chips, right? And so some tried to respond by making deals or some tried to respond by um, breaking the just-in-time uh, strategy and holding them on inventory buying in advance. Specific, But the firms that did this the most were not car manufacturers, of course. They were like chip manufacturers, and as we'll talk about for different reasons relating to sanctions, right? But all in all, right, COVID resulted in opening up, I think, the door for a lot of supply shocks to really put the pressure on chip production, right? Because you can't, as, as Morozov points out, right, it's not just COVID. You had cold weather in Texas, right, where a lot of U.S. chip manufacturers are based. You had a drought in Taiwan, right? You had a fire in uh, one of Japan's major chip factories. You had the Suez Canal um, getting blocked and delaying global trade for, for some time. And then again, you had, the Ch- you had Chinese companies like Huawei and ZTE anticipating stricter or the maintenance of sanctions, on them, right? Uh, whether that be prohibiting Americans from investing, or whether that be prohibiting uh, European firms from uh, doing business with them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anticipating this and buying years and years and years worth of chips in advance, right? Mm. So then the only option is to okay, now you need to make a deal with chip makers, right? But you can't really make a deal with the chip makers because they're getting bought up or because they can't make them, which then leads to, you know, Morzell's sort of next question about like, okay, well, why don't they just make the chips, right? Which is not as easy as you would anticipate. anticipate.